ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. I'm your host, Walker Near. Thank you so much for tuning in today. On today's episode, I'm going to explore uh, the, the idea of perception and how it manifests itself in different characters that I've been a huge fan of for a long time. Uh, and then after that, I'm going to dive into a video game that has completely got me consumed called Factorio and talk about why I think it's such a great game and, and why you should probably check it out if you play PC games at all. As always, today's episode is produced by Misha Zarens, who also is responsible for the music and our delightful artwork. Thank you so much again for tuning in. Hope you enjoy. So I once shared this thought with some friends. Uh, imagine that you're a frog on a pond and that the pond is full of lily pads that you can hop to. Now, these lily pads represent things that happen in your life. So if you have no goal, right, or no destination, then the lily pads you jump onto are, are somewhat random. You're not in control of the things that are happening to you in your life, and the things that you're doing or experiencing are not leading to some location somewhere else on the pond on, on another lily pad, right? So with no goal, maybe you just kind of hop in a circle or, or some approximation of one, just, you know, kind of, living and surviving. This can be pretty chaotic as it can feel as if you're at the whim of external forces entirely. If you have a goal or destination and can maintain focus on it, then the lily pads can seem to form a line. The truth is that you still don't have control of what happens to you, at least not fully. The difference though is that with the destination in sight, you might not actually hop in the straight line across the lilies but you will feel like it was a straight line. With a destination in sight, you might have to go to some lilies that you wouldn't have outright selected if you had all the power. Lilies that are clearly not the best path, but at the end, they're just another step in the journey. Your actual power to influence events is actually the same whether you have a goal or not. But since you perceive the events differently through the prism of your destination, you feel differently about it all. Truth is objective. Reality is subjective to your perception, and both of those things exist together simultaneously. I hope that makes sense as it helps to form the point that I'd like to talk about. I love characters that seem to master their perception. I find myself constantly drawn to the same character across multiple mediums. I don't really know fully how to define it. It's basically a character who is very driven and only sees their destination regardless of obstacles. These characters never get in the, lost in the chaos of life's lily pads, but instead always find a way to perceive that straight line of lily, lily hops. One of my favorite examples of somebody who has this trait is Kobe Bryant. I think Michael Jordan's actually probably the same, but I'm just slightly too young to have been able to appreciate Jordan uh, like I did Kobe. So for all you MJ lovers out there, forgive me. Kobe is famous for the Mamba mentality, which is basically his take-no-prisoners-win-at-all-costs mindset. Kobe absolutely thinks his lilies on the pond are on a straight line, but the truth is that he played in the NBA for 20 years, and every year he wanted to win a championship. <clears throat> well, he made it to the finals seven times, and five of those times he won. So he didn't just hop to the goal each year. In fact, more often than not, he fell short. A couple of those times when he fell short of his goal... It was just when he needed to hop on one last lily pad. But his entire brand was and still is that he maintains this laser-like laser focus 
on whatever his goal is. This focus empowers him to control his perception so that everything he can subjectively control is in service of him achieving his goal. One of my favorite Kobe stories is from this guy named Jay Williams, who also played in the NBA. He's a commentator on ESPN, so you might have seen him there. The story goes that Jay Williams had a game against Kobe Bryant coming up one evening. Jay decided to get to the arena a few hours before the game and get a good workout in. He gets to the gym, and Kobe is already working out in a full sweat. Jay starts his workout and puts in about 90 minutes, and then decides you know, he's going to call it and, and get ready for the game. As he sits down to cool off, he looks up and sees that Kobe is still doing a full workout. He decides to sit and watch, and Kobe actually works out for another half hour, and then he heads to the locker room. They both go their separate ways and, and, and ultimately go play the game, in which Kobe drops 40 on him, right? So after the game, Jay Williams thinks, I have to ask Kobe why he did that, why he was working out for you know at least two hours before, before a game. So he goes, hey, Kobe, you know, why were you in the gym so long before the game today? And Kobe responds, because I saw you come in, and I wanted you to know that no matter how hard you work, I'm willing to work harder than you. You inspire me to be better. Kobe sees his opponent coming out to work, but instead of seeing this challenge and, and being intimidated or threatened by it, he sees it as an opportunity to do more. It's just that absolute dominance mindset that is incredible. There are video compilations on YouTube of NBA players sharing stories about this exact trade in Kobe. I highly recommend checking them out. There, there's some awesome, awesome anecdotes from, from some of the NBA greats. There's also a Spike Lee documentary called Kobe Doing Work. That is super dope. Kobe sits in and provides commentary for an entire NBA game that Spike Lee had previously recorded at the arena. His whole brand is this, this idea of this dedication or commitment. And I just, I love it. Another example of this character uh, is Rorschach from the graphic novel and, and film The Watchman. Rorschach is basically a vigilante who, who basically just kills the worst criminals on site instead of arresting them or, or something like that. He's kind of like the Punisher, really. In fact, the Punisher is actually another great example of this character archetype for exactly the same reason. Both of these guys are undeterred by anything. Now both of them are violent and somewhat cruel men, but they're both comic book characters who are pretty one-dimensional, and the idea is that they're ridding us of the worst of the society. I'm not advocating their violence, really, but the underlying res resolve that exists within these characters you know, still draws me in. My favorite moment with Rorschach in The Watchmen is actually his last moment. He, at the end of the, the story, has become aware of the villain. Uh, Os, Osmandius is the villain's name. He's become aware of Osmandius's conspiracy to murder millions of innocent people in order to try and create a framework for, for global peace. He's basically trying to, to, to kill a bunch of people but blame it on uh, an external threat that's from space so that all of humanity will have to unite against this, this new external threat. Rorschach says that he's going to leave the place that they're at where he, he finds this information out, and he's going to go tell the world and expose Osmandias' lie. There are only a handful of people who know the truth, and if the truth gets out, this global peace framework won't last, and so then all of these innocent people will have just been murdered really for no reason. Others in the room try and, and, and stop him from leaving, but Rorschach proceeds and, and turns to them and, and just says, 
even in the face of Armageddon, never compromise. He then goes outside and is killed shortly after. It's the perfect ending to that character. That is another succinct way to position the sentiment that I've been trying to describe is, is no compromise. I also love the objectively cheesy TV show 24. <laughs> I watched all eight seasons of it several years ago. I would recommend Kobe Bryant to people. I would suggest that you read the, the Watchmen or at the very least see the movie. I cannot in good faith, however, suggest that you watch 24. Kiefer Sutherland is kind of a goober to be that tough, actually, and I don't know. All that being said, though, I still love this show. The main character is Jack Bauer. He's basically a top-end government security official, kind of like a FBI or CIA thing. Each season in the United States is under threat from some horrible terrorist act. Uh, for example, like they're going to nuke major cities or they're going to release biological weapons in mass to the population. Jack Bauer then has 24 hours to resolve whatever this terrorist threat is. Each episode in the season is an hour long and there are 24 episodes each season. So you end up watching the entire day play out hour by hour. The show is absurd and the stakes are really high all the time. They use hilarious phrases like I'm in play whenever they're out in the field doing, you know, secret agent time. The show is only possible in a cell phone based world. <laughs> I saw a hilarious skit one time that proposed the show happening in the 90s instead. Everybody's running around faxing stuff and getting busy signals trying to make phone calls. It's pretty hilarious. Actually, the first Tom Cruise Mission Impossible movie falls into this to some extent as well. The whole movie plot is in part predicated upon quick access to payphones. <laughs> All of this should make 24 unwatchable, but the Jack Bauer character is never deterred. At one point, he's captured by a foreign government and tortured. Still stops the terrorist. One season, he becomes a heroin addict and goes undercover and has to continually shoot up throughout the season. Still manages to stop the terrorist, though. It's probably the silliest example of, of this character type that I like. What is wild about this, though, is that it can take on more, more than one form, this, this character trait, right? It can be fun and trivial yet positive thing like Kobe Bryant chasing titles in sports. It could be something truly meaningful like that kid from Malawi who built a windmill to create electric power for his village using only scrap junk parts he found laying around. He did this with only information gleaned from a few books and the library in his remote village. The thing is, is that no compromise can also take a really dark turn, right? Like, like Ted Bundy or Jeffrey Dahmer had pretty singular focuses. Uh, and that's why I said at the top of the show that this type of character is, is hard to define because, you know, you look at the example of Kobe or the, the kid from Africa, and I love the determination there. And, and I, I love the, the, the story of it. I love the outcomes of it. But if you show me a serial killer, well, that's appalling. And the determination trait is one of the more sinister aspects of, you know, that type of person, right? If the serial killer wasn't dedicated and just took naps instead, then we would have different outcomes. So my point with that is just that the mere existence of this commitment isn't really enough. The ends that the determination or, or no compromise, whatever you want to call it, is used to achieve matter, people who are determined to hurt other people are the worst of humanity. Another thing is that all of these examples are just characters. Some of them are even real people, but I can't speak to the full breadth of these people's character because I don't know them. These characters in many cases are literally sold and generate money before anything else. Even the characters who don't exist to make money are still made up of more than just one character trait. 
I give this disclaimer because while I'm fascinated by these personas that are sold or otherwise available, I think it's silly when people get idolized. People are infinitely complicated and nuanced. Hitler made a bunch of pretty decent paintings. When running for Senate in 1858, Abe Lincoln said during a debate that he was not and had never been in favor of bringing about social or political equality of the black and white races. It turns out that neither of these men are judged or remembered for those things and are instead viewed in ways that are opposite from those examples. My, my point that I'm trying to make is just that everybody is flawed and nobody is sacred. There are really many examples of this character that I love beyond those few that I've provided. Denzel Washington does an excellent job of portraying this character in several movies. The concept is arguably the central theme or point of the Matrix trilogy. The character Morn in the Gap Cycle book series brought me to tears while reading at one point because of this trait. Uh, Martin Luther King is one of the most positively influential characters in modern history, and he was clearly always moving towards this destination. These characters that I love seem to have mastered control of their perception and thus create their best reality. When used for something good, or at the very least something harmless, this capacity for no compromise can lead to some fantastic outcomes, not just for the individuals, but for others, and potentially, like in MLK's case, even masses of people. It would seem that this capacity for mastering perception would exist within all people. I know for myself I've only ever been able to utilize it in a few scenarios, but not all of them. I'll save the whole story for another time, but I can say that I was able to shift my perception in order to understand the passing of my father, who, who passed away when I was 20. You know, I was very devastated by that, and only through learning how to shift my perception and understand it differently was I able to kind of, you know, move past the, the devastation of that. I've also been able to shift my perception in, in personal relationships. Uh, I've used it, the ability to do that at work to kind of re-understand what I think about my job or, or my role in it or whatever that may be. On the other hand, I've been overweight for a really long time and, and you know, I've started <laughs> plenty of, of road to fitness challenges or whatever you want to call it and I, I struggle to maintain that momentum when I set out to do that. I've also spent money on a lot of stupid things instead of being responsible financially. My point in sharing these things isn't to be self-deprecating. It's to provide an honest example of how this, this idea of this no compromise and this mastery of perception has manifested itself in my own life. You know, I, I'm not batting a thousand on it, and I don't, know, I don't know if anyone does. I think probably everybody does have this capacity to some extent, and probably the most famous real-life people that I've mentioned with this characteristics have areas in their own lives that they don't manage as well. I certainly don't have any answers, but I will say that if you find yourself in unhappy circumstances, it'll serve you well to try and understand what about that circumstance is true and what about that circumstance is your perception. Then you can try and work to shift the perception, because that's really all you can change, and see if you can find a better outcome. It might not always work, you know, like I said for myself, it, it doesn't always, but when it does work, it's a very empowering and magical feeling. Perception dictates reality. Thanks for listening.
an ongoing conversation in today's world is climate change. I have a, a stance on climate change I would like to advocate as well. Climate change is all about trying to save the planet and, you know, look at these pretty green plants and look at these fish and look at these cute little bunnies and don't they deserve a world and, you know, can people survive? All of that's super important. I get it, right? Like, cool, you know, tell me another time. That's not what today is about. Today is about understanding that while we move forward in climate change and trying to save everything, it's also okay to leave some behind. Um, so kind of like in school, how they have no child left behind, which means everyone graduates. Well, I'm advocating that for climate change, we do leave some motherfuckers behind. Namely, I would like to leave behind poison ivy. Um, I don't know how many of you have encountered poison ivy. I personally had a, a pretty bad spell of it last year, but that's not the first time. I've had poison ivy try and ruin my day on plenty of occasions. Poison ivy, as far as I know, which to be clear is not very far because I'm not a scientist. That's, <laughs> that's what we pay scientists for, to be scientists, right? Not me. Um, poison ivy serves no functional purpose. It just exists to be an asshole. Poison ivy hangs out, and then when you brush by it, it tries to get at you. And if you're me, it succeeds very well in getting at you, sometimes for weeks on end. And I just don't think there's enough people out here fighting against the scourge of poison ivy. I feel like people are really concerned about saving the trees and, you know, what happens if the bees go away? Well, what happens if poison ivy takes over? You know what I mean? What, hope, what happens if, if poison ivy gets a lobby group and now we've got big ivy to deal with? I'm not having it, and that's why I'm getting out in front of it today and trying to put an end to this poison ivy shit. Um, if you see poison ivy, it's kill on sight every time. Uh, in the Philippines, the the dictator in charge there now has it so that if if people are are selling drugs, they can be killed on site. You know, outside of the judicial system, I'm advocating for that for poison ivy. I think it's probably pretty wrong um, to to shoot people that way. So I'm not advocating that in any way. However, with poison ivy, even if it's not selling drugs, I still think it should be killed on site. Uh, if it is selling drugs, well, then that just helps build this argument out. I think right. Um, poison ivy doesn't care about your kids, right? <laughs> poison ivy doesn't care about the future of your community. And that's why we have to show poison ivy no mercy. I just wanted to, to get in front of you today and, and make sure that you all were attacking poison ivy as often as possible. And remembering that climate change is not about saving everyone and everything. So stay up. There's a video game genre out there that I think is kind of difficult to define. Uh, this genre includes games where you control a single character and harvest resources. Typically that means, you know, chopping trees or uh, and collecting wood or, or punching rocks and, you know, mining rocks and collecting stones and then using the, those wooden rocks to make tools or structures to make things easier. Some of these games have mechanics like eating and drinking. Uh, usually people would think of these games kind of as survival games because of those hunger and thirst kind of baseline survival mechanics. Uh, probably the easiest example of this is Minecraft, you know, super popular game. And it's a great example of a game that includes all of that. You harvest the resources, you build tools and structures to make the game easier and to, you know, progress farther. And then you also have to manage, you know, hunger. I don't, I don't know that you really manage thirst, I guess, in that way, but 
there's another game called Terraria, which a lot of people call 2D Minecraft. And while Terraria shares some of the similarities with Minecraft, you don't have to manage eating or drinking anything. There is no realistic survival feature of Terraria in the way that games like Minecraft or Don't Starve or Ark um, really kind of emphasize that more of that survival aspect. So I don't think survival is a fair term because there are games in this genre that I'm trying to loosely define that don't have anything to do with surviving but that still have a lot in common with the other survival games. So the term that I've started using is, is Build-A-World, uh, which is a term that my dad used to describe different genres of games back in the in the 90s. So <laughs> he wasn't talking about these games because he never actually saw these, but I like that term and I think it's fitting. So games like Minecraft, Ark, and Terraria, more than anything, share the experience of the player harvesting resources, building new tools and equipment, and then setting up new stuff to go harvest higher tiers or more rare resources. An example in Minecraft, you start out by getting a wood pickaxe, which you have to use to harvest stone, which then gives you the ability to make a stone pickaxe. Then you can use that stone pickaxe to find iron ore, which then you can use to create an iron pickaxe. This is one of the central gameplay loops. You explore, you find and harvest resources, you craft upgrades, and then you start that loop all over again. There's another video game, which is Factorio, that fits into that loose build-a-world genre, and I think Factorio deserves a lot of attention. Again, it's a PC game that came out on Steam. It, it came out in 2016. It's still in what they call early access, which is basically kind of a, a beta period. I have had some bad experiences with early access on other titles, but I absolutely can assure you that Factorio is not one of those uh, bad experiences, even if they stopped coding today and never added another piece of content and never got to what they planned for full release, it would still be an incredible value. Uh, I've got close to 200 hours in the game. Now that's over the, the course of a couple years, but for 25 or $30, whatever it is, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what better value you can get. Um, yeah, a terrific, terrific game. And again, constantly more is being added to it that makes it better but if they stop now it would be fine factoria is a game that drops you into a world with almost nothing it's a randomly generated map and when you start the game it's the map is a, a you know there's nothing built on it there's no pre-existing structures it's just a, a blank slate with different resources that have spawned randomly throughout the world and then your your character standing there the objective, uh, like the other games, again, is harvest resources, craft tools and equipment. In Factorio, there's no eating or drinking whatsoever. Your character doesn't sleep. You don't build a shelter to, to put your character in to hide from the elements or anything uh, like you would in, say, a Terraria or a Minecraft. There is a consistent threat of, of a Zerg-like alien race. Uh, Zerg is like a bug insect kind of race from the game Starcraft. But anyway, the alien threat in, in Factorio is, is kind of similar to that. And they do attack you throughout the game. So there is a, a threat to in, contend with and a threat to survive, if you will. But again, nothing in the way of surviving the elements or having to, to make sure you have food and, and water and, and things like that. In the vast majority of these Build-A-World games resources are gathered by hand what that means is that in most of these games if you want to gather some coal for example to burn in your furnace 
that you use to smelt your metal in, right? Then you have to take your character out, find a, a node of coal somewhere in the world, hit it with your, your pickaxe or your hammer or whatever until you harvest all the whole, the coal that you want. Uh, then you would go and take that back to your furnace to, to use it. So in these other survival games, hitting that coal that way that I described or punching that tree or hitting that rock to, to harvest the resources does actually build some sense of immersion, especially at first, um, because, you know, it, it feels like you're really setting out to, to, to make your own path, if you will, in these games. The problem is, is that that initial level of immersion and feeling like you're really into the game world because you're having to harvest all your own stuff is quickly replaced by by a feeling of tedium. It just gets really boring. You know, in Minecraft, when you need to chop down one tree to make a new hammer, it's not a big deal, right? It, it's fun. But when you decide that you're going to make a new house and then you realize you need to chop down 400 trees, you might decide to stop playing the game, right? You start doing that mental math, <laughs> start doing that, that calculator. That's something I always say when I'm playing a game is, that that's how I can gauge my level of immersion is, am I doing... Am I playing calculator? You know, and when I'm playing a game and I go to accomplish something in a, in a game, do I think, oh, I can't wait to, you know, build this new base because then once I get that base, then I can go do X, and this new, then I can go out on this adventure that'll be more fun. And I, but I need that base first to have a good, you know, foothold to, to be established from. If that's where I'm at, then I think it's awesome. But if I get to the point where, I'm going, okay, well, I want to build a base, but to build a base, I have to chop down 400 trees, and to chop down 400 trees, I have to click my mouse 800 times. If I'm doing that kind of calculation, I'm out. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> and it's sad when it happens, and I try and, and not go there, but some games, it's unavoidable for me, and, and I just have to bail. Um, Factorio offers the opposite experience of this. So in Factorio, everything can be done by machines. You can manually go and hit a coal node or, or, or whatever, but it takes a really long time to harvest, and the game is designed around the idea that instead of you harvesting things like coal or metal or whatever, with your hand, you will use a machine. And the example of that, you'd be like a mining drill, right? So the mining drill does need fuel or a power source, but assuming that that's present... You can just have set it up and it will automatically harvest that resource node while you go do anything else. And this concept extends throughout the entire game. And the game is really more of a, of a factory maker kind of logistics simulator than any sort of survival game. You start out having a couple of machines, but by the end, you have possibly hundreds of machines all simultaneously running. Uh, there's conveyor belts and little arms that move stuff from one place to a belt and then take it off the belt and took it into another assembly machine. And I don't know, once you get a little setup going, even a very small one, it's surprisingly satisfying to sit and watch the factory just, you know, do its thing and do what it does. <laughs> um, there are a variety of power sources actually in the game. You start out with coal burning machines that just have a fuel source that you know you just need to put a fuel source into the machine itself. Uh, so like, for example, the first drill that you get operates by just putting coal into the fuel slot of the drill, and then that it'll just automatically go. Um, but pretty quickly, you can actually pump, build a, a water pump, and then that'll pump water 
into a boiler and then you can also feed chunks of coal into the boiler and then it the boiler combines those and generates steam which is then piped into steam engines which generate electricity you then build out power poles out from that those steam engines and create a working electrical power grid uh, in in the game there are also solar power options nuclear power options that, that, that come out a little bit later in the game but it's it's just really crazy the 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 variety of ways in which you can generate power and 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 make power grids and connect different things together the different power options offer different outcomes you know all of them obviously generate electricity but you know for example the steam engines are the easiest and most accessible way to generate power but they also generate a lot of pollution and the pollution serves to upgrade and or enhance those aliens that I was talking about that attack you throughout the game. So the more pollution you have, the stronger your enemy becomes. So there's some incentive kind of built in to try and, and not use, not generate as much pollution as possible because you're, you're punished again by the enemy. The core gameplay in Factorio is setting up drills to mine and harvest resources, then setting up furnaces to smelt those raw resources into usable things like metal plates or bricks. Um, power grids for the factory, including drills and furnaces, must always always be established. Then you start building out assembly machines that take those plates and bricks that you made in those furnaces and then convert those plates and bricks into finished products. An easy example would be like turning an iron plate into an iron gear, or perhaps you convert a metal plate of copper into a copper wire, right? These derivative parts can then be combined uh, into other assembly machines to make even more products. So that's kind of the way the game works is you start out, you know, there's, I think, I don't know, six or eight base resources in the game that you have access to that you can go find and, and harvest. And then everything is just a derivative of, of those in some way. You, you you smelt them down and combine them and put them together in different quantities and different machines. And they put out new in, byproducts and those things get combined into, into new things. And that just goes on for, for a long time. The goal of the game is to complete research in order to eventually build a rocket ship to escape this alien world that you're, you found yourself on. In order to complete the research, you have to create uh, these things called science packs, which are items that are then fed into laboratories where they're processed. So, for example, let's say uh, you open the technology tree, which is just a list of the different options you have for, for things to research, and you see you can, you can research uh, a technology that will allow you to make a faster-moving conveyor belt, which is helpful because, you know, you're sending your stuff all over the factory. And so you want to get it to the different places as quickly as you can, right? So a faster conveyor belt is, is a tangible benefit to you. So in order to make um, science packs to, to do the research, you're going to have to, to make 100 red science packs and feed them into laboratories. And then, and then laboratories process them just on a timer. Uh, and, then, and then the research is done once 100 red science packs have been processed. And to be clear, you could have one laboratory and feed 100 red science packs into it, and it has to process each one uh, in that one laboratory. Or you could have 10 laboratories, and you could feed 10 science packs into each one, and now you've you know cut that time that it takes to complete the research in, in 10, right? Um, or you could build 100 laboratories and put one science pack in all 100, and now as, as long as you have 100 science packs available, 
their research would complete immediately. And the reason I explain all that is just that that is a quintessential uh, value or, or thing that you encounter in Factorio, and that's that there is not just one way to play. You you ultimately can approach the the game however you want to, and and scale things as big or as small as you want. And there's really not really a right or wrong answer because in the end, it's all just about, you know, the throughput of, of your factory. Um, it's just a, a really, really neat anyway. So, so let's say you're going to create, you know, those hundred science packs to, 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 to unlock the new faster conveyor belt. Well, the red science pack itself has a recipe in order to manufacture it. And so, and I'm just making these things up for the sake of the example, but let's say the red science pack takes an, an iron gear and a spool of copper wire. And those are the items I described earlier. So again, to just take it back so far, the loop is you've got a drill that's drilling iron or, or copper ore, right? And then those ores are being pumped into a furnace. Furnace is smelting the ore and then the, into plates. And now those plates are being taken to an assembly machine where they're turned into gears and wires, you know, respectively. So now you take those gears and wires and combine those in a new assembly machine, and that creates the science pack. So you're kind of, the game very, very cleverly interweaves its gameplay mechanic with its goal, right? Because the science packs are ultimately the goal because that's ultimately how you will unlock the ability to launch, launch a rocket to space, which is how you, you beat the game, you know, technically. But in order to do that, you have to build this really elaborate factory. And so the things that you have to produce to make the science packs and that you unlock via the science packs also enhance the ability of your factory to be more productive, more efficient, whatever, whatever word you want to use. Um, so this idea or this central contract concept then explodes into at least six different colors of science packs. So like, you know, I said you have the red one that takes an iron gear and a copper wire. Well, the the there's, again, I think actually it's seven different science packs total that all require different materials and they become more and more complex as, as you advance through the game in order to make them. So you're constantly having to grow and expand your factory to, to make these new science packs to unlock the new researches to march down that technology tree uh, to get to the, the rocket science. So, you know, beyond, beyond the factory itself, the game also includes the ability to create complicated train networks. <laughs> and you can have resources loaded up on a cargo train and then shipped to another train station and unloaded. And then, you know, it's all getting dumped on conveyor belts and fed into your factories. All of this can be set up on automatic schedules as well. So you're not having to, to drive the train. You build the train, you build the tracks, and then you can set conditions by which the train goes from one station to the next and set a, a route for it, and then it will all automatically just happen on its own. Uh, you don't have to drive the train every time. Probably my favorite feature of the game are these little robot drones that you unlock kind of in the mid-game. Um, these drones will deconstruct or remove items if you want to to say like tear down an old factory setup and build something new you can just draw a box around all the stuff you need to, to have remove and instead of you having to go and click and and move the stuff one at a time 
the little robots will just swarm out from you, remove the stuff, and then bring it back to your inventory. You can also then make a blueprint, is what they call it, of an existing factory setup, and then place that blueprint down in a new area of the map. So, for example, let's say you've got, you know, a little line of three factories, and they've all got little arms in front of them that take materials off of a conveyor belt and put materials in the fact in, in the factory. And then you've got the conveyor belts themselves that the materials are going on. You've got other arms that are putting the materials out of it when it's finished processing. Well, instead of having to every time you want to recreate that, remember how the orientation goes and, and click all the items, you can just drag a little box around that stuff and create a, a blueprint, which allows you to basically just copy and paste that template. And then you can just copy and paste as many of those as you want out on, on you know in the game and once you get these drones, if you have the materials that you need to build this template, the drones will just grab all that stuff from your inventory and automatically swarm out and just build everything. So many of these other games uh, that in this build-a-world genre, as I called it earlier, ultimately just never escape the, te- the initial gameplay tedium of having to go punch trees and rocks to harvest the materials. And and because of that, your ideas for what you're going to create or what you will make are kind of limited by the scope of your willingness to go gather more. I mean, Minecraft, the most the most elaborate and sophisticated things that come out of Minecraft as far as things that people create are done in a mode called creative mode. And in creative mode, you don't have to harvest anything manually. You can just literally generate any block you want. And that's awesome. And I'm not upset with <laughs> creative mode at all, but... It's a separate, it's an entirely separate way to play, right? If you're going to play what's called survival mode in Minecraft, then again, if you want to build a really elaborate castle that has, you know, a thousand stone blocks in it, cool, but you have to go mine 1,000 stone blocks by hand, which means you've got to left click the mouse, I don't know, probably like 4,000 times. Uh, And that's just a lot. Factorio flips this on its head entirely. You know, instead, Factorio kind of begs you to automate everything, which in turn means that kind of your imagination is the limit for how you set things up and how you you arrange things. I don't know. I've just never really played anything quite like Factorio. Uh, It's a game that constantly presents very interesting problems to solve. It's easy enough to understand and yet complex enough that the solutions you come with are are truly your own. The developer is absolutely one of the best at communicating with the player base and the constant updates they provide are awesome. You think this all sounded interesting and you'd like to know more about Factorio, you should also head over to the Factorio subreddit, uh, which is just r slash Factorio as those people are awesome. They've got a ton of great information and content, tons of tips, uh, and just kind of really celebrate Factorio daily. (laughs) I, I think you should absolutely give Factorio a try, you know, and, and see a totally unique gaming experience. Hope you like it. That is going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much again for listening. Please like and subscribe on any of the podcast networks that you're listening to us on. You can also follow us on Twitter to find out when the newest episodes are coming out. And we also ask that you go to our YouTube channel, The Walk Show Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good one.